we've said it many times, it continues to be true, that everything we know about the Christian life is in this book. There's a lot of other people that wrote a lot of things about this book. But the only authority we have is what's written in this book. And our Bible is true and it's trustworthy. Uh, even when we don't or don't want to understand it, <laughs> it's still true. It's still true. Last week, Art uh, talked about chapter 4, and I need to put my two cents in about a couple of things. And uh, then we'll get into chapter, chapter 5. Look at chapter 4, verse 21. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But, I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Um, I will harden his heart. Art last week went to Romans 9 and Paul quoted the same thing that's right here and he, he talked about uh, some things that are very pertinent from, from the New Testament perspective. And one verse that I'll just, uh, I'll just read. So then, he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. That's contrary to what we think. That's contrary to what uh, we're taught to believe, you know, that that God hardens people's heart as he did here in Pharaoh. Now, turn over right quick to chapter 7 um, and look at verse, we'll look at verse 3 through 5. Um, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hands on Egypt and bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. Um, so God says that the reason I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart is that I'm going to show the nation of Egypt the wonders and the power of Almighty God. Now, in this side of the cross and this side of having Scripture in our hands, we, we know a lot more. Uh, can you imagine, you know, at the burning bush, uh, God says, I am who I am. 
And he says, that's going to be my name throughout history. I am. And, and before that, all that he had told the children of Israel, which was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons, he says, I'm going to give you some land in Canaan if you are obedient to me. And that's as far as they could take it at that time. Now, we see a whole lot more on this side of Scripture and this side of history. We see the fulfillment of a lot of that. But these people didn't understand what that was about. Now, through the course of history, we've talked about it when we, when we went through Daniel and we talked about the, uh, the Greeks taking over, and they did, and they had a great influence on, on secular history, and they have a great hist uh, bearing on our thinking today. Art brought it out last week that, that the idea of the Greeks was to tie everything in a neat little package. I, I, I like to say we like to put it in boxes, you know, where we can know. But the Jews ran parallel thought, and that was, they understood that, and they didn't have any problem. And like it was said last week, God is sovereign, and man has a free moral choice. And and we want to bend those two lines into one. And yet the Jews didn't have any problem with looking at that these things parallel. Um, I looked up parallel thinking a little bit, and let me read you what Google told me. Parallel thinking is defined, def defined as a thinking process where focus is split in specific directions. When none in the group is effectually of avoids the, son the consequences of a, the adversarial approach. Now, in our courts and our lawyers, they, they want to find blame. They want to say, it's your fault. <laughs> they want to push something to a conclusion, you know. Just answer the question. <laughs> Did you do it? Just answer the question. But this is what he continues to say about about uh, parallel thought. In an adversarial debate, which is what the attorneys do, the object objection, objective is to prove or disprove statements put forth by, by the parties. In parallel thinking, practitioners put for, forward as many statements as, pos as possible in several parallel tracks. This leads to the exploration of a subject where all the participants can continue, excuse me, contribute in parallel with knowledge, facts, and feelings. The crucial method in this process is that it is done in a disciplined manner, and all the participants play along and contribute in parallel. I have mentioned to you that some of my YouTube watching and I've been watching, I've been watching uh, uh, Robbie Zacharias, and he is very, 
he's very patient with the questions that are asked. He's very um, complimentary to the person who asked the questions. He's very uh, soft-spoken. That's his nature. And yet he drives his point home all the time. Now, if any of you have watched Ben Stein uh, and him debating some of these people, Ben Stein is an attorney. And his, his, his tone, the way he does things, is kind of conf confrontational. Comparing the two guys, you know, a lot of times they debate, debate generally the, some of the same things. Ben Stein's a Jew. And yet, yet he comes across, his attorney side comes across, and he wants to drive home a point. Robbie Zachariah does the same thing, but he does it very soft-spoken and very easy. So when we're looking at, at God and who he is and what he does and what he says, realize that in Scripture, God is in control. He knows what he's doing. He, he knows because, as I say, Isaiah has said, and we went over it time and time again, he says, I am God, and there is no other. In Isaiah 45, he says it about five or six times. I am God, and there is no other. So when we come across these hard things in Scripture, we simply have to say that this is what Scripture says, and we take it at face value. And so when we go through this Scripture verse by verse, we come to these hard things, and Art and I have to hit them head on. Now, let's continue reading in verse 24 here of the fourth chapter. Now it came about at the lot. Let me back up. Let's go to verse 23. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. So this is what Moses told Pharaoh to say. And then we have a paragraph marking in your Bible on verse 24. Now it came about at a lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he led him along. At that time, she said, You are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now, I've been reading different commentaries like Art does, and I've read about four this week. Two of them utterly missed it or didn't say anything about it. That's typical of commentaries. When they come to a hard part or something they can't explain, they just forget it. <laughs> well, we came to this last week, and, and we come back to the fact that we don't know what, it's, what it means, what it says. I'm kind of reminded about commentaries, about like I'm reminded on the news today. The news is presented, and then they have a panel of six people there who give their opinion. 
nobody's ever called me for my opinion. But anyway, it's their opinion of what has happened in this particular circumstance. And that's a lot of the times what scripture is when you come to a commentary. We don't know where it was. We know that it was between them leaving Jethro's house and going to Egypt. Uh, and there's some conjecture there of what really did happen. Uh, I've told you about gotquestions.org, which is one of my favorite uh, go-to scriptures. Kind of like I've talked about Swindoll and Stedman. They, they, they put things out where I can understand it. But this is basically what God questions says about this particular thing. He says, accordingly, Moses' personal life had to be in order before he could direct the spiritual lives of the Hebrew people. It seems that Moses had neglect to administer the rite of circumcision and the rite that symbolizes the Almighty's covenant with his chosen people. Now, Turn back right quick to chapter 17. I, I'm, I'm spending, uh, of Genesis, excuse me, Genesis 17. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time here that probably I don't need to do, but I, I kind of want you to understand what God says in some things, and Scripture is Scripture. Even if I don't understand it or I don't want to understand it, it's still true. It's still true. In chapter 17 of Genesis, verse 9, God said further to Abraham, Now for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Circumcision was a male thing. God told Abram and the patriarchs to do the circumcision. In this particular case where we're talking about, Zipporah did the circumcision. So there's conjecture there. Let me continue reading what he says here. It was also possible that he was persuaded by Zipporah not to circumcise his son. Now, we don't know if it's sons or sons. We kind of think it was just one son, but again, that's what the panel <laughs> says, what these people are giving their opinion says. It says, <clears throat> uh, since it was apparent that she found the practice revolting, this would explain her violent outburst when she had caused, saying that her husband, excuse me, had saved her husband from death by shedding his, uh, the blood of her son. Whatever the cause, Moses' outstanding sin made him unfit to serve as a spiritual leader, and the situation had needed to be rectified before he could carry on his mission. So, looking back at, at those three little ver uh, verses there, uh, verse 26, after verse 25, when Zipporah had circumcised the boy, verse 26, so he, if you have the New American Standard, it's in capitals, so he, God himself, left him alone. Now, 
all I can say about this is it's one of these hard things in Scripture that we don't fully understand. Uh, we, don't, we just don't know. But God put it in there, and that settles it for me. That settles it. You know, it's there, and he settles it. Yes, Larry? To me, the mystery is why uh, Moses had not done this. He knew he was supposed to, but for some reason, he didn't. And when it says God sought to kill him, yeah. I'm not sure if Moses knew that, but Zipporah did. Yeah. That's the reason she took that action. Right. And it wasn't to her. It was despicable. Right. Okay. So I'm going to leave it. That's my two cents. And we'll, we'll go on to chapter five and see what we can find in chapter five. That's just one of those things that happens in scripture. And, and uh, because we take it verse by verse, we have to address it. And Art did a good job last week. And I just had to say my piece. <laughs> okay. All right, look at chapter 5, and um, I'm going to let the reader read chapter 5, and then we'll come back and comment. It's basically a story which you know, you, you know about, so follow in your text, if you will, in Exodus chapter 5. Chapter 5. And afterward Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise he will fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you draw the people away from their work? Get back to your labors. Again Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labors? So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick as previously. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it, because they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at it, so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced. So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not completed your required amount either yesterday or today in making brick as previously? Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are being beaten. 
but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, you are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for you will be given no straw. Yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. The foreman of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. They said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Okay. The the story is 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 very very familiar to you, and let's go back and look at a couple of things here. Um, he went to Pharaoh as the Lord had told him um, back in verse twenty two of chapter four. He says, "Say to Pharaoh, verse one: Thus says the Lord, the God of." Israel, let my people go that we may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. Verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Now, think about it. <laughs> this was the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest dynasty in history at this point in history. And Egypt was what they were because they had these myriads, these thousands of Hebrew slaves. And here, here goes this itinerant preacher, and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> and Pharaoh said, I don't know the Lord. Why should I let them go? What would you have said? Were you in Pharaoh's place? You know, why, why should I let them go? I don't know the Lord. Uh, and then in verse 2, 3, excuse me, and the God of Hebrews met us today. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Otherwise, he will fall upon us with pestilence and with a sword. Art talked about last week of when he, when Moses went to Jethro, he made up a tale. <laughs> he says, uh, I, I need to go check on my people. Yet when God told him at the burning bush, he said, I need you to go back to Egypt to deliver my people. But he didn't say that to Jethro. The same story is here. Um, Moses said something, and what did he say in, in verse 3? He said, let my people go a three-day journey into the wilderness. Is that what he wanted? He wanted them to take them to the promised land where God says he was going to take them. But he says, let us go take a three-day uh, three journey. And furthermore, look what he said. Otherwise, he will fall on us with pestilence and the sword. So... Moses took some theatrical liberties here in front of Pharaoh and says, this is what I, we need to do and why we need to do it. 
And verse 4, he says, get back to work. Get back to work. Verse 5, look at the people in the land are now many, and you would have them cease from their labor, their labors. Verse 6, and the same day Pharaoh commanded over his people in their foreman, saying, don't give them any straw. Let them collect it themselves, you know. Don't you think Moses was trying to put for a little bit to see what his reaction was going to be? Just well, let's go for three days. What his reaction was going to be. Yeah. And don't give him the full load at one time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't we do that, John? Yeah. <laughs> we, we say, you know, we, we, we want a little bit when we really want a whole lot more, you know, but we'll, 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 uh, human nature hadn't changed since Moses' days. And as, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> let's continue the looking. And then in verse 15, <clears throat> then the foreman of the sons of Israel came into Pharaoh. All right, now, Moses and Aaron had, in essence, stirred it up. So the foreman, of the Israel people, they says, let's see if we can straighten this out. So he went there in verse 15. Then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, why do you deal this way with your servants? Uh, there's no straw, and yet you keep telling us to make bricks. And he went on and says, says we're not going to reduce it. Your quota's the same. This is it. Look at verse 20. And when they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for him. Can you can see that? This group of uh, foremen for the children of Israel, they were waiting for Moses and Aaron and says, look, guys. And he says it down in verse, the next verse. He says, y'all have messed us up. He says, uh, you made us odious in their presence. Um, may the Lord look on you and judge you. And then in verse 22, Moses did what we all ought to do and should do and must do. When we hit these hard times, he went back to the Lord. He went back to the Lord. And he said, God... He says, why have you brought harm to this people? And then he goes back to the pity party that he's had before. Why did you ever send me? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Because that's what God told him at the burning bush he was going to do. He said, you go back to, to Egypt. I want you to deliver my people. Um, so here again, you know, uh, instant gratification is not just a, a new thing with us where we very much are in that mode. Uh, Moses says, you haven't delivered them yet, you know. And so we turn into chapter 6 right quick, and there's a few things that I just want to see. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up in chapter 6. And then the Lord said to Moses, 
Now you shall see what I shall do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he would let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of the land. The Lord knew what he was doing. He knew the end of the book. He knew where this was going. But he needed to get Moses on board with the thing. And we need to do, understand that too, that, that God is in control. He understands us. He loves us. He wants us to have the best. Look at verse 2. God spoke to Moses further and said to him, I am the Lord. Now in the, the subsequent verses, in, he says this, I am the Lord, five more times in chapter 6. And he comes back, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Okay. Verse 3, I appeal to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I did, make, I did not make myself known to them. That's what I said a while ago. What did he promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He promised Abraham that he would make a great nation from him and that he would give him the land of Canaan where he, was, he went and sojourned. That was God's promises to him at that point. We do have one uh, uh, little uh, part of a chapter we, in, in Genesis where Jacob wrestled with the Lord. And he says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And he, he, he wound up a, uh, uh, with a hip out of place at that particular time. But to be as intimate with the people, he wasn't, and he's, and yet he's fixing to be that with Moses, and to to lead them by the hand as he as he he did. Okay, verse four, I will establish my covenant with them, and will give them the land of Canaan, the land which they sojourn. Furthermore, I have heard the groanings of the sons of Israel. Because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, I have remembered my covenant. Now, what was the covenant? That he's going to give them the land, that they're going to be a land that's flowing with milk and honey, which is an agricultural term that's of abundance, of, mount, of bounty. And he says, they're gonna, you, I'm going to remember my covenant. Verse 6. Therefore the sons of Israel, excuse me, say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched hand and with great judgment. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the burdens of Egypt. He went in the end of chapter 5. Moses went to the Lord and he says, you know, why? You haven't delivered him. 
And then the Lord's coming back to him, and he's telling him. He says, Moses, I am the Lord. Bill's paraphrase. I know what I'm going to do. Just hang tight. Obey me. As we left last week, you know, the, the song we said, you know, trust and obey. Trust me. Obey me. And I'm going to bring you out of this particular place. Okay. Verse 7, and I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give you for a possession. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. We'll pause now for station identification. <laughs> Have you ever been wrapped up in your own situation where you didn't want to listen to the still small voice that the Lord was trying to tell you? He has pleaded, he told Moses, he says, I am the Lord. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to honor my covenant. He went back to these people, and it fell on deaf ears. It fell on deaf ears because they were still in a woe is me type attitude. We've talked about attitude in this, this class so many, many times. That the attitude is one thing that we have control over, but more times than not, it's the attitude that controls us. We can control our attitude. It's the only thing we have in our control. We can control to make it a good day. We can we can be a bad day. It's just one of those things. Okay. Let's get through this next little bit and we'll wrap it up for today. Verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. Go tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let the sons of Israel go out of the land. But Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel have not listened to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? For I am unskilled in speech. Moses had this broken record, you know. He said, I can't talk. He said, I'm not skilled in speech. He told him that at the burning bush. He said, I can't do it. God wanted to use Moses. He grew up in Pharaoh's house for 40 years. He was on the backside of the desert in Midian for 40 years. God was teaching him and taking him through the university of, I need to lead my people out of Egypt. He had all this training. He says, Moses, you're the man. 
and I made you speak, I can make you speak. And it's interesting as as it goes on in, in, in Scripture, you remember Aaron. He said, well, I'll let Aaron speak for you. Aaron spoke until they crossed the Red Sea. And then we don't hear nothing else too much about Aaron except he got him in some hot water. So it's 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 a thing that finally, you know, it finally got through his head. But at this point, he says, I went to the sons of Israel, and they didn't understand. They didn't want to believe. They didn't understand. And now you want me to go to Pharaoh and say the same thing? He says, I can't speak very well. I can't speak very well. He's told them how many times up to this point? Four times up to this point, he told Moses, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Folks, we serve a mighty, mighty God. A mighty, mighty God. When we're obedient and when we're clean before him, the Lord has our best interest in everything we do. We go through some hard times, and when we get through those hard times and we look back at those hard times, and we said, I see what the Lord was trying to teach me. I see his deliverance. I see what he did. I see the blessings on this side of that hard time. You with me? Okay. Let's continue reading another verse or two. Verse 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge. To bring the sons of Israel and to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the sons of Israel out of the land. From verses 14 through um, uh, verses 15, uh, Moses put a genealogy in here of uh, of the sons of uh, the 12 sons of Israel and we're not going to go through that particular thing and we looked at verse 20 Aram uh, married his father's sister Jochebed um, and he had Moses and Aaron and we talked about it early on and Miriam and in verse verse uh, uh, 25, and Aaron's son Eliezer married one of the daughters of Pula and bore him Phinehas. And these are the heads of the fathers of the households of the Levites according to their families. And that's what the writer here, Moses, through the Lord, is trying to say about the family of the Levites. Verse 26, this is interesting to me. It was the same Aaron and Moses. <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't changed. It's the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out my sons of Israel. Verse 26, the latter part of the verse. It was the same Moses and Aaron. Verse 28. Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke in the land of Egypt, and when Moses spoke in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. 
But Moses said, what did he say? I can't talk. I can't talk. Behold, I'm unskilled in speech. Then how will Pharaoh listen to me? How will Pharaoh listen to me? Uh, as we go on through Scripture, uh, <laughs> Moses several times went to the Lord, a lot of times went to the Lord, and the Lord himself said, these are obstinate, hard-headed people. Moses was too. But God used him in a mighty, mighty way. In a mighty, mighty way. Well, we'll pick up with chapter 7 next week, and we'll go from there. Um, I hope you have a great week, and, 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 and we love you. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you for all you are, and we thank you for loving us and being with us. And we thank you that, that Scripture is true. And Lord, help us to understand that you are the Lord. And you have our best interest in everything. And Father, forgive us of being hard-headed and obstinate and, and, and not trusting you. Let us lean upon you for everything. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.